Okay. Good evening, everyone. Well, last uh, Thursday, I neglected to mention that the lecture <clears throat> was in part sponsored in memory of Pinchas Gershon, Ben Yeshaya, David, Vechana, and it should be Le'ili Nishmoso. And I'm glad that I was able to remember this week to do so. This week's parsha of Ayishlach deals with uh, Esau and Yaakov. And it's the last time that Esau and Yaakov are going to meet each other alive. Though uh, they will meet to bury Yitzchok. Now, who is Esau? How do we characterize him? That's one of the difficult things that the Meforshim are trying to help us with. The Torah's description is that he is Nish Tzayid, Nish Sodeh, Yadayim Yaday Esau, But the Torah does not tell us anything specifically about him. Just as the Torah doesn't describe Yaakov for us very thoroughly. Yishtom So we have to discover them through uh, their behavior and how Chazal looked at them. So I want to spend a little time talking about Esau because it's very important, I feel, because he is a presence amongst us. The Gemara says a remarkable thing about him, that Esau is a Yisrael mover. Esau is not non-Jewish, the way we are brought up to think he is. He's a Yisrael mover. He's a Jew who does not observe Torah mitzvahs and, in fact, uh, denies Torah mitzvahs. So Esau is within the Jewish world, so to speak. We'll talk in a few minutes about an opposite point of view. But the concept of Yisrael Mumer has always existed within the Jewish people. That part of the Jewish people is anti-Jewish. And even though we uh, have a mitzvah of us Yisrael, to love all Jews, and even though we view the Jewish people as a whole, nevertheless, the reality is that a portion of the Jewish people has always been Yisrael Mumer. We're coming up to the holiday of Hanukkah next week. So the holiday of Hanukkah is a war, not only against the Greeks, but it's against the Jews who were Hellenists, who subscribed to Greek ways, who were Jews, but they were Greeks first and Jews second. And that's the concept of a Yisrael woman. 
and then the uh, Hellenists became, uh, after a period of time, Zdokim, and the Zdokim became Karoim, and after a period of time, you have reform, and you have everything that goes on today. That's your soil mover, that's Asa. And therefore, uh, the danger is far greater than even from outside forces. Because it's hard to say they're not Jewish. They say they're Jewish. They want to be Jewish. They claim that they have uh, not only equal rights, they have rights to Judaism. They're, they're, you know, they're entitled. So they're entitled to the Kotel and they're entitled to this and they're entitled to that. And they're entitled to speak on our behalf. That's the soil mover. And that's what Yaakov said in his prayer. <clears throat> Save me from my brother. When he asks us, he's my brother. We sit together on committees. That's Aesop. Hey, that's what makes Aesop really so dangerous. Because he is within us and not only outside of us. And the uh, Medrash uh, portrays him even more strongly. That Yaakov Avinu wrestles with the angel of Aesop. So the Gemara asks, the, the Medrash asks, what, what did the angel look like? There are different answers that are given to that Medrash. But one of the answers is He was a scholar. He's a professor of Talmud. How do we deal with that? And in the time of the Haskalah, in the 19th century and 20th century, vestiges that still exist today, So, for instance, if you take a course in Talmud, in certain institutions of higher learning, and the professor teaching the course is not a Shomer Mitzvah, does not observe commandments, and perhaps doesn't even believe in it, but he's an expert in Talmudic literature. So how do you counter that? How are you able to somehow uh, rise above it? And that's an age old question. That was the question of the attitude of the rabbinic Jews to the masculine that I mentioned in the 19th and 20th centuries. So Esau appears then as one of us, 
as a Talmud Chalchum, as a Yisrael Mumer. Part of the Jewish people. And in that role, he can cripple us. As the angel Ace of those, the Yaakov. Because we are hard pressed to defend against it. Well, in our time, you know, we all the Marxist Jews and all of the, uh, you know, the secular Jews, etc. What are they? How should we consider them? And there never was a unanimity of thought or policy regarding them. So in certain Orthodox societies, uh, they were accepted. And in other societies, they were banned. But really, no one knew how to deal with them. How do you deal with Asa? So the Mephorshim say that what Yaakov tried to do is make a separation. So to speak, to drive Asa away. Physically to drive him to Har Seir, the Edom, but also spiritually and push him away. Don't encourage that he should be part of us. But that seems to be very harsh. But over the centuries, it seems that that has been one solution. It was, for instance, the solution of uh, Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch in 19th century Germany. When he uh, forced his community to leave the general Jewish federation and form its own group and have nothing to do with the general Jewish society because of the fact that it was reformed. We called it Austrit. Step outside. In the Torah we find that the uh, that uh, that's what Moshe said regarding Korah. Step away from this evil group of people. Separate yourself. So that's one stream, so to speak. That's one uh, view of Esau. And it attempts to have a method of dealing with Esau, even though that method is very, very difficult to pursue because Esau is within us, part of the Jewish people. Is he a soil mummer? He's not a goy. There's a second view of Aesop. Second view of Aesop is that he's not Jewish. He's not a soil mummer. He's a goy. He's a non Jew. 
and the danger that we suffer from him is both physical and spiritual. And that uh, therefore allowed Chazal to identify, for instance, Rome with Aesop, Edom. Traditionally in the Jewish world, Rome was seen to be a product of Aesop. The Muslim world naturally was a product of Yishmael. But the Christian world, the first, the Roman world, was a product of Asa. When the Roman Empire collapsed and became Christian, both Byzantine, which is Eastern Orthodox Christianity, and Roman Catholic. So that became Asa also. And that became the figure of Aesop throughout Jewish history was Christianity, especially Roman Catholicism. Because that's what affected the Jews the most. Though uh, in the Slavic lands, it was the Eastern Orthodox, the uh, Byzantine Christians that were identified with Aesop. And there also you have the same problem because Christianity is taken from Judaism. And many of its basic ideas are Jewish ideas. And therefore, because of the similarities, you know, uh, something that you are fairly close to, but does not agree with you, you hate more than something that has nothing to do with you. Just an example, uh, throughout the, the uh, last century, uh, the communists hated the socialists worse than they hated the capitalists. Because they're too close to each other. So then the difference has to be accentuated. And that's what leads to this intense hatred one for another. And the Jews throughout history have uh, been on the uh, defensive against Christianity. The Jews were forced to debate both religions. They were forced to conform to Christian practice were forced to sit in the synagogue and hear Franciscan monks preach to them. So Aesop is represented in Christianity, in the Christian world, especially in the Roman Catholic world. And uh, the rabbis therefore said that since Christianity is taken from Jewish ideas and Jewish values. So that's like Aesop there. Christianity was raised in the house of Yitzhak and Rivka. But it deviated. That's in essence the Jewish opinion on Christianity. Uh, 
I don't, I don't think that there is a sufficient emphasis today in Jewish education to delineate Judaism from either Islam or Christianity. It's not talked about. But it's very essential to know and to think about it because that's the basic problem that lies at the heart of why the Jews are separate and different, why the rest of the world is on one side and we're on the other side. But uh, in the Middle Ages, this was a very hot button topic. We have, for instance, the famous Sefer Avikuach of the Ramban, Moshe Benachman, the debate that he held in front of the King of Spain. But there were other debates. There were 300 rabbis in Tortosa that debated. Because Judaism was always under attack. Esau is always attacking us. And the basis of the, the attack is that Esau is entitled to the brachas. Esau is the real deal. And we stole it. We, we went off the road by not accepting the Christian Savior and other things. So that's a very important issue. So that's the second view of Esau. Esau's a goy. But he's a goy that has a connection to us. And spiritually, he is out to influence us and even to absorb us. The third view is that Esau is just plain a wicked murderer. Esau's a killer. Again, in that medrash it says that he he looked like a gladiator. A killer. Hired hand. Esau does, uh, cares nothing for human life. And therefore, he's dangerous to us physically. I mean, we're 80 years after the Holocaust, we still haven't recovered. Esau killed 6 million people. And they had plans to do it, and it was done industrially. It was not the heat of a moment. It wasn't just passion. He planned genocide. That's Asaph. That's what Asaph is capable of. And therefore, again, the farther we can get away from Asaph, the better off we are. Let Asaph be in Adom and we in our hair. That's really in this week's Haftorah of the Novi of Hadja that he describes the destruction of Esau. That destruction of Esau is this Esau. It's Esau the murderer. Esau the killer. And Martin Gilbert in his uh, book on the Holocaust has one story that the uh, 
Nazi trooper caught the Jewish child and he was going to send him to his death. And the child said to him, I know you are going to kill me. And I know that you are Esau and I am Yaakov. But in spite of the fact that I know you're going to kill me, I would rather be Yaakov than Esau. That's the story that he quotes. So that puts a very stark difference between Yaakov and Esau. That's not that he looks like a Talmud Chochem. Or that's not that somehow we have a connection. This is an Esau with whom we have no connection whatsoever. Who is sworn to destroy us. And destroy us is physical. And that Esau has appeared many, many times in our history. Over all of the millennia. That's what we say in the Haggadah. That Esau is here in every generation. And so that's three definitions of Esau. And probably the truth is that it's not three separate. The all three are the components that make up Esau. Sometimes Esau is a Talmud Chochem, and sometimes Esau is someone that stems from us and has our value system, but is different. And sometimes Esau is the murderer. And there's an interesting point that Hirsch, Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, quotes again in this week's Parsha which is a shuddering thought to me. I have noticed that in a number of editions, it no longer is uh, published. But I saw it, it was the original German and it was in the original uh, English uh, translation, but not in later ones. But in any event, he writes there, and that's it. Not a criticism of Hirsch, God forbid. Hirsch is writing 1868 Germany. So it's 70 years before Hitler, but he doesn't know that that such a thing could happen. So he wrote there that Esau is slowly getting better and better. He's slowly civilizing himself. And that he'll civilize himself enough that he and Yaakov will become brothers again. That's a perfect understanding of German Jews in the middle of the 1800s. So in that view of Esau, Esau is Beethoven and Bach and Goethe and Schiller and Kant. So Esau is getting better and better. He's not going out with swords anymore. And Jews have civil rights. And Jews become good Germans. But it didn't turn out that way. 
just unbelievable how it didn't turn out that way, but it didn't. So we're left with this composite ace of difficult to put him into a niche. Difficult to know exactly who he is. Is he within us or without us? Is he all evil? Does he have redeeming good features? What should we say about him? What should we think about it? And on that, there are disagreements within the Jewish people today. So there's uh, interfaith, and there's those that say, God forbid. There are those that say we should be part of the general society and those who say we have to always be separate. Because Asaph is not definable to us. Just as he was not definable to Yaakov Avinu. And then we have Yaakov. Yaakov does not appear to be a very powerful person in this week's parsha. He is willing to buy off Esau rather than confront him. Here, Esau, look at all the gifts that I give you. Just leave me alone. And he would have stood up to Esau. We see that Yaakov has sons, human and Levi, that can take care of a whole town. They can take care of Esau too. But Yaakov avoids all of them. And then when the story of Dina happens, so the brothers want to take revenge, and uh, Shimon and Levi destroy the city of Shem. And Yaakov says, no, what did you do here? Why did you make us now? Nobody's going to like us. And Yaakov is a very strong, powerful person. Last week's parsha, he's taken the stone off of the well all by himself. And he survives 20 years in the house of Lovah. So the Torah portrays a side of Yaakov that apparently was necessary to be portrayed for the exile, for the master of Simon Lebonin. Shimon and Levi will not always have weapons to be able to defend themselves with. The Jewish people will not often have the means to roll the stone off of the well. That won't exist for them. So they will have to survive by other means, by buying off enemies. Uh, in the 19th century, the Jews survived Tsarist Russia by corrupting all the public officials. And uh, 
since the nature of people is to accept corruption. So that was the weapon. Okay, so, but that doesn't fit into the concept of the new strong Jew. But the question is, is Yaakov going to survive the exile being the new strong Jew? Or is he going to survive the exile not following Shimon Levi, but by having the low profile and seemingly giving in, even though he has an eye on the future, that he will triumph and not Asa? And that remains a question until today. You know, there was, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it still exists as strongly as it once did, but certainly in the United States, when I grew up, it was there. It was not, don't make waves. Don't start up. I remember when the campaign for Russian Jewry began in the United States, there were many famous rabbis that said, no, don't, don't start up. Can't do it publicly. Have to do it through other means. So Yaakov is not identified either to us. He wrestles with the angel, but he's crippled. He doesn't have a singular victory over the angel. And all of this, therefore, only serves to show us how complicated the relationship is. How it cannot, in the Torah, simplify difficult, difficult issues. And that therefore, uh, say that one size fits all, or it's the same for every generation, or this is the policy everywhere, really is not wise, because who knows? Who knows? So, uh, this parsha of Yaakov and Esav is really fascinating for us because it's current events. It plays itself out in front of our eyes. It's decisions that we make every day. Both uh, in our personal lives and in our national lives. You know, people who went for interviews in big corporations and they insisted on wearing a yarmulke to the interview. So in some corporations, they got the job because the guy said, I like your moxie, I like your courage. And in some cases, they didn't get the job because he said, you know, your, your beanie is disturbing me. So uh, difficult to come to a great conclusion. Maybe that's why the Haftorah talks about the future. It doesn't say 
the, the Malucha will be to the Jewish people. The Malucha will be to the Rabboni Shalom. Because only the Rabboni Shalom will be able to solve all of this. Make sense out of it. But we have to be part of the group of the Moshe and Bahar Tzion. Those who rise up on the Mount of Zion and are faithful to the Torah and to Yaakov Avinu, and therefore we'll be able to vanquish the evil side of Esau. Who rule over all of us together in goodness and health. Again, I want to thank you all for listening. Have a great Shabbos and stay well. Call to Selah.